Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. Today on the Aspiring Psychologist podcast we are looking at how you weigh up which job offer or course offer to accept if you're in the position where you have one or more to choose from. I'm guiding you through my top tips and stay right to the end to get all of them. Hope you find it useful. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast. Hi, welcome along to episode 75 of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. If you're listening to this episode when it's freshly available, you will now know that it is mid-May. And we are approaching the end of the interview season for the Doctorate in Clinical Psychology. A date to remember is the 9th of June. A time to remember is specifically 2pm on the 9th of June. If you are in the position where you have any offers for Doctorate in Clinical Psychology places, that is the time that you must have accepted your offer. I presume if you haven't, it will be automatically cancelled and your place will be offered to somebody else. So that is most definitely something to be aware of. Now, sometimes people will leave it until the last day because they're trying to decide what is going to be the best fit for them. And of course, this crops up in other areas of psychology as well. Sometimes you might well be in the position where you have more than one job offer and you're trying to decide which is going to be a bit of you. So today's episode is all about that. How do you choose between two job offers? So last week was thinking about should you still, could you, might you, would you still go to interviews if you already had a job offer? So if that's what you're looking for, you might well find that a useful listen. That's episode 74. But today is, you know, you've done well. You've smashed it out of the park. You've got at least two job offers or course offers to to mull over. Okay, so let's guide you through this with what I'm thinking is likely to be six key topic areas to consider. But you know me, there may always be a few more. If you're watching on YouTube, please do subscribe and like this video. Let me know in the comments what you're thinking, what your top tips are. If you're listening on um, audio, please do take a moment to rate and review this episode, either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. 
and come along to the aspiring psychologist community brackets free group on Facebook where we can talk about this and a whole lot more too. Okay, so consideration number one is going to probably be more relevant if these are job offers rather than course offers. But if it's, for example, a master's course that you're trying to weigh up against each other, this might well still be relevant for you as well. So it's weighing up the job offers in terms of the job description, in terms of the salary, in terms of you know what it is that's being offered to you and the opportunities that will crop up within that. Where's the location? What are the job hours? What's expected of you? And is that something that you want to consider? So very important factors to consider. And of course, when we spoke about um, some of the similar issues last week, we're thinking about, well, what's the approach if you've got dependents or if you care for somebody? You know, how inclusive is the employer in that regard? How much does it look after your needs? Point number two is all about company culture. Now that might well be the employing trust if you're um, you know looking for assistant work or training course in you know psychological well-being practitioner or something like that or it might be the employer for a private organization for a relevant role in um, in the career path to becoming a qualified psychologist or it might be a course it might be a course in counseling psychology doctorate it might be clinical psychology doctorate what is the university like what is the employing trust like because there's of course those two aspects is it a good fit for you what do the values of that trust or organization say about them do they feel like a good fit for you. One of the interesting things I did recently was look at the Clearinghouse website for how different clinical doctorates talked about themselves. And some of them to me felt a bit oppressive. It felt like really heavy handed and exact and precise. And the ones that for me were a bit more free flowing and a bit more you know, you don't, I'm trusting you not to need to know every single detail of what's going to be taught and instead just giving you the themes of what will be taught. For me, that would be more a bit of what I wanted rather than, yeah, giving me every single breakdown point of each lecture I'd ever attend. That's um, too much for me. Of course, that's going a bit OTT. They're not going to list every single lecture, but certainly all the themes and all of the module titles and things were included. And for me, that was a little bit much. I would rather know about how they treat their trainees or how they treat their staff um, and what they're hoping I'm going to learn and what, you know, why I should pick them. You know, what is it about them that they feel is unique and special and that they do really well. That's the kind of things that I'd be wanting to weigh up. And of course, now is the time for thinking about what others who've gone before say about the employer, say about the course, say about the university itself, say about you know, the department you're going to be working in, you know, do you know anyone? Is there anyone on LinkedIn that you might know who might already have had some experience with this particular and specific offer 
that you've been made. And it can be a really good idea to check out the alternative handbook as well to see what people have said about it if it is a course. Um, but that said, of course, people do have different experiences. So you're allowed to still make a choice even though someone has told you that it wasn't a good fit for them. And sometimes, because it can be really competitive, sometimes we choose to do something that we think might be a little bit tricky because we feel that this is our chance to move on forwards in our career. This is our chance to get our first assistant psychologist interview, for example. And so you might still choose to make a decision which feels like it may not be the wisest, most forever permanent choice. But I'd say when it comes to choosing a doctoral course, that it really should feel as right and like as bit of, like and like it's a bit of you as much as possible. So point three to consider is all about career growth. So if it's a qualified role, then is there you know potentially a perceptorship opportunity? to take you from band seven to band eight and beyond? Is there potential to go from band four assistant to band five assistant? Have there been or could there be opportunities for you to, to do a specific type of training during that course or that role? Might it offer you the opportunity to do some research within that um, job role so that you're learning more um, and getting more to add on your CV as well? If it's a course, do they teach specific modalities which are going to be really useful for you in terms of going forwards in your career after you qualify? Might also at this stage be useful to look at what previous people have done as a result of having done this job or completed this course, where have they gone to? Where have they flown their wings? What areas do they work in? Again, this can be a really useful time to check out LinkedIn. If you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, do come on over, I'm Dr. Marianne Trent. Now it might be a wonderful chance to take a little moment and to listen to a little jingle. Um, and whilst you're listening to it, if you like it and you're on YouTube, do like and give me a comment too. I'll catch you on the other side when I will be back along to discuss the three remaining points plus any other musings I've got to. So stay tuned and I'll see you very shortly. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying tuned. Um, I know a song that will get in your head, get, 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 get in your head. And I think the same is true with my jingles. So hope you love them being there as much as I do. In the first half, we were guiding you through the first three of my six top areas for consideration when deciding which job offer to accept or which training offer to accept. And so this next half is going to be all about guiding you through the next three, as well as any other random bits and pieces I can consider to throw in. 
So this is especially important if you are going to be on a doctorate course for three years and this is about distance this is about commute not everybody can practically afford to or literally afford to um, pack up their old troubles in their old kit bag and move off to their university town for three years um, i did I did um, because I was footloose and fancy free, but there's many reasons why you might not do that. You might have um, parents who need your support, um, parents who maybe are not well. You may have children who are already in schools and you don't want to rock their boats so much. Um, there'll be a variety of reasons. Um, maybe you're already mortgaged um, and you really love your home and your environment and you know that your friends and your networks around you are really um, gonna be a strong, supportive, factor for you protective factors as we talk about in psychology and so it might be that you're going to be commuting and of course it's it's useful to know that that might affect how you bond and how you share time with your cohort so there were a couple of people that did commute um, in our cohort and it meant that quite often they didn't come to the after university pub gatherings because they had to get back and that did affect their university experience so um, for me I was able to be you know more going with the flow and um, you know walking to uni on the days when I wanted to be perhaps having a little a little tipple after uni um, there are factors to consider but sometimes people do make it work with um, you know, Airbnbs or actually a B&B um, and, you know, staying over a few nights a week so that they can immerse themselves in university and the studying and the requirements of the course whilst still benefiting from their home and their family life um, for days or four nights a week. So it's got to feel right for you. It's got to be tenable for you and your family because we don't want you to burn out and if you've got you know two hours commute each way plus you might end up on a placement that is like an hour outside of where you live already which might mean you've got three hours each way that's going to be tricky so they're definitely factors you'll need to consider so if it is um, a course offer you're trying to weigh up, it can be useful to consider or maybe even ask the courses, what are their areas for placement? So I'm aware that, um, you know, for example, Solent NHS, um, which covers the Southampton course, Isle of Wight, of course, is um, a place that needs mental health provision. And so it might well be that you end up um, you know, with that as your catchment. Um, and so you might find yourself having to take the ferry across to the Isle of Wight for maybe a few of your placements. And so you'll need to factor that in to your decision making as well. Now, you know, there are very much more less beautiful places that you could be about to consider living and moving to. And having spent a couple of holidays um, in that neck of the woods, it is stunning it is sensational and one of my good friends um, her family home is in the Isle of Wight and she sends me the most wonderful videos and photos um, and sends me voice notes from there and it sounds incredible so it's not all factors to consider as disadvantages you know sometimes we can embrace this 
moving this relocation as something really special and unique. But of course, along with the commute comes cost, comes expense. Um, I know that my car um, is a slightly older model. I drive a 10-year-old car. Um, and there's many areas in the country where I can't go without paying additional pollution fees. Um, and so it's, you know, thinking about how that might add up for you across a week, um, across a month, across a year, across the whole time that you might be living there. And you know how sustainable is, is that commuting cost going to be for you? Factor five to consider is all about the work-life balance. So if you're trying to weigh up um, opportunities um, for employment where actually some of the culture of the employing trust is that they promote homeworking, you know, flexible approaches, um, perhaps, you know, you live close enough that you can walk to work sometimes, you know, um, that's going to be advantageous. That was certainly the case um, when I was most recently employed that sometimes I was able to walk and that made such an incredible difference. Um, not all the time, life's not always that kind to us but you know for the work-life balance it was pretty incredible and when it came to choosing between driving you know 26 miles each way during really heavy rush hour traffic and then being able to sometimes work from home sometimes walk um, and generally be closer to where my family was even when I was in a base that was a hard case to answer for so even though it was it meant moving um, my discipline to adults from children, um, I, I moved job. Um, and even though it meant moving from um, a substantive qualified paid permanent contract to moving to a fixed term contract, for me, it felt like it was worth it because the work-life balance benefits were going to be so brilliant for me and my family. Usually within courses, you're probably going to have the same amount of annual leave because it would usually be pretty standard for band six NHS staff if you're employed. Um, but there are different courses who do allow you to have some annual leave time within the teaching year. And there are others who don't allow it at all. So if you know you've got, you know, family who are likely to, to schedule um, a wedding, on a midweek day um, across your three years of training and that you really like to go, then it might be just worth considering how flexible courses are about annual leave. And again, that's something that you might be able to ascertain by speaking to previous trainees. When weighing up job offers from um, private trusts or hospitals um, and NHS, it's worth looking at their sickness benefits and their pension benefits and how many days annual leave you get, for example, um, and whether you get any additional perks. So when I was working for a large psychiatric hospital that was non-NHS, they would give you a celebration day that would mean that you would um, be able to get an additional day's annual leave that you could choose to take on your birthday or your child's birthday or your anniversary, some day that was important to you, which didn't count towards your annual leave allowance. And again, that same trust um, would give you 
think it was monetary value in your pay packet for every six months that you'd not had a day off sick for. I don't know if they still do that because potentially that might lead to contributing to burnout. But certainly at the time it was very useful. I think I used to get like an extra hundred pounds or something for not having a sick day. Um, and then of course, I think if it got to a year, I then would be given, I think, additional day off as well. So it might be just worth looking at any individual or specific benefits that come about as part of that job offer or employment. And if you think you might want to become a parent during training, then it might be useful to think about what's gone before you. So, of course, it is a job. It is a fixed term contract for a doctorate in clinical psychology. And so they do have to treat you like any other staff. And there's maternity leave, paternity leave, all of that jazz. But what's gone before you? Have people tended to um, defer a year or drop back a year? What's gone before you? And again, chatting to previous trainees can be really useful in that regard. I don't know of any male caregivers who have decided to take shared parental leave whilst on training, but who knows, it might be a possibility. If you have done that and you'd like to come and chat on the podcast or you know somebody who has done that, please do get in contact because I'd love to chat with you. And last but not least in our six point run through of choosing between two job offers is your gut, trust your gut feeling. How is it feeling to you? How did it feel to be part of the interview processes for both or all of these job offers or course offers um, that you are weighing up? Which felt more aligned to you? Who treated you in the way that you like to be treated or that you would prefer to be treated? Um, what did it make you feel? What did it make you, you know, wonder i think it can be really useful to think about what you were left with what you felt in your body as you drove away from that interview or if it was remote what you felt in your body as you shut down your laptop and you went off to make a cup of tea did it leave you feeling uplifted excited hopeful did it leave you wanting to cry <laughs> um really useful communications and do not shut down your own ability to to tap into your gut instinct because it can it can be really important communications um, you know it's normal that you might feel completely exhausted after certainly a doctorate interview especially if it's been going on for hours or days or if it meant that you had to do some element of prep beforehand so exhaustion i think is normal but if you felt exhileration you're tired but exhilarated that's important communication in itself as well i think so i think in summary you know we're evaluating the job offers we're looking at the company culture we're looking at the career growth opportunities for you we're looking at the commute and how it would impact on you and your life we're looking at the work-life balance and we're looking at gut feeling it's also important to know there might well be no right or wrong decision here. You get to choose, you know, what feels like it's going to give you the best chance of getting to the next stage of your career, whatever that might be. If you enjoy this sort of approach, this sort of musing, this sort of reflection, 
I think you might quite well enjoy the Aspiring Psychologist membership. And if you're looking for ideas about which jobs to apply for, I think you'll really enjoy the Clinical Psychologist Collective and the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book. So I hope you found this useful. If you've got any questions or any ideas for future podcast episodes, drop them in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or get in contact with me um, if you're listening. Even if you're watching on YouTube, you can get in contact with me too. I'd love your ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for being part of my world. Um, And I will look forward to catching up with you very soon for our next episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. With Dr. Marianne Trent. Hello, my name is Veronica Kasova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.